The Bible says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He, that is the Messiah, that is Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Father, thank you so much, God, that in the midst of sin and failure and Spiritual catastrophe, God, you are proactively loving and giving mercy and grace and providing hope. God, you are the God of redemption. And we speak that today. We speak that with our whole hearts over each other's lives because, God, you are the only one who can take the ashes and turn them into something beautiful, and you take great pleasure in doing that. God, we pray today that you would... Draw our hearts and minds to Jesus, your son. And God, in our relationships, you would help us to align ourselves to the truths, God, the power that we have through faith in him, in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat today. You know, I, I shared with you last week a story about uh, a woman who played the lottery religiously, and if you weren't with us, I want to encourage you to uh, go back and, and watch the video. I always say get the tape, but we don't do tapes anymore, and it'll make me sound really old, so go, go watch the video online. Uh, but you guys remember the story that I was sharing with you? There was a lady, she played the uh, Euro Millions like really consistently. She had the same pattern that she followed over and over again. She bought the ticket. Uh, she would go home, she'd write the number in a notebook, she would give the ticket uh, to her husband for safekeeping because you can always trust the husband with the ticket. And, um, and then she won, they won, and come to find out, you know, when she went to her husband to get the ticket, uh, he had thrown it away. Yeah, what a guy, what a guy. And I think I was thinking about the husband and just, you know, what compelled him? What was it that brought him to a place where he got the ticket in his hand, he just tossed it in the garbage can? And I think... You know, he probably became so accustomed to losing uh, that he just felt like it was hopeless, that it was pointless. Like, why keep a ticket? First of all, the probability of failure is just so high that he probably, you know, thought there was really no point in playing in the first place. But then week after week, and you know how this can feel sometimes when you have this expectation and you have this hope, um, only to find yourself dashed week after week, he probably had come to a place where he himself was just so discouraged with losing so consistently that you know, he really did believe that it was pointless to play, that it was hopeless. And I say all of, all of that to say, sometimes I think that we can approach relationships like that. Sometimes when there's difficulty or tension or conflict or failure in relationships, we ourselves can get to the point where we feel like it's hopeless, like why would we invest? Why would we try anymore? Uh, there really seems to be no point to this. Uh, we, can, we can get to the same place that Princess Leia was in. Oh, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. And I know like right now you just got a glimpse, a window into my mind, which is, you know, not a, it's just not a pretty picture, okay? And I was thinking about this guy, and immediately when I was thinking about him, this is how messed up I am, I heard her words ringing in my mind, right? Do you, do you guys remember what her words were? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, <laughs> right? Like things had become so bad, right? Bad for her. You got the Death Star, Planets are blowing up, and you know, there's just, there's no one that she could look to except this one person. 
Like for her, it was hopeless without this one individual. And I want to just theologically and very profoundly say to you today that you have someone greater than Obi-Wan Kenobi in your life. You have Jesus Christ. (laughs) Relationships are hopeless without Jesus. Real God-glorifying, fulfilling relationships are hopeless without Jesus. And we, kind of like Princess Leia, need to come to a place where we say, Help me, Lord Jesus. You are my only hope. You know, that's a good place to be. It is a good place to be when we uh, are in that situation. Maybe catastrophe or tragedy or conflict has brought us to that place, but when we're just looking to the Lord because Jesus always makes it better. He always makes it better. And that's the title of today's message. I know that probably feels like an understatement to you, but the truth is this, relationships are always better with him. He is the blueprint, he is the standard, and he also supplies the power. I want to say to you today that you have all the tools necessary in Christ to have God-glorifying, personally fulfilling relationships. You... This, I'm winding you up right now. This is a wind-up, all right? You have everything that you need. You have all the tools necessary to have God-glorifying personally fulfilling relationships. Now, I say that to you, and some of you aren't sure what to say. The the vast majority of you know that that's true. It's kind of like a rhetorical truth, but the reality is Christians don't use the tools that God has given them in their relationships. I do believe that the vast majority of Christians uh, do not use the tools. There are all these tools. There are all these things that God has given to us to empower us to have fulfilling and glorifying, God-glorifying relationships. But the truth is that those tools oftentimes go unused. Uh, Rachel and I walk a lot, and um, the other day, I can't remember what happened, but I wasn't able to do our normal walk together. So she went for a walk by herself. It's probably better anyway, without me yapping the whole way. But she had been on the walk, and she made this remark to me. She's like, I was walking, and I saw these quail crossing the street. And I, I don't remember, you know, the details of this, but I'm pretty sure I'm not embellishing as a pastor right now, but I think this is how it went. Um, it was a busy intersection, and the quails were actually walking across the crosswalk, and, and there's traffic there, right? And what really surprised her, it stunned her, what the, was that the quails chose to walk instead of fly, because you know quail, they can fly. And so she thought, why in the world would you walk across the street and imperil yourself where you could actually fly. And I just want to suggest the same thing to you today. Why would you walk in the flesh when you can fly in the spirit? Why would you in relationships? Why do we choose to walk in the flesh when we can fly in the spirit? Listen, when you walk in the flesh, you will be roadkill. That's what will happen in your relationships. And you'll either be the one who is getting run over or you will be the one running other people over. The foundation for having healthy relationships begins by being a solid, sincere follower of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say that to you today, and it may seem really simple, but I think these foundational things that we've been focusing on are absolutely important. You know, I find sometimes in this Christian world that we're in that people are always looking for the silver bullet. They're always looking for the guru that's going to write the book and give them the principles to follow. And sometimes in doing so, I do believe that we can get the cart before the horse. 
I'm not saying those uh, principles, those very specific principles aren't important. We're going to talk about good, solid principles uh, in marriage or as parents or whether we're single. We're going to be talking about some of those things. But listen, we can't forget that we've got to lay the solid foundation first, right? It's about the love of God. It's about living in the love of God. It's about living in transformational love, not transactional love. Not what do I get, but what can I give? It's about remembering what the real issue is. The problem is sin. These things that we battle with every single day. The adversary or the enemy is in our spouse or our friends or the church. The adversary, the enemy, is the enemy. The devil is the enemy. We're in a spiritual battle. And today I want to remind you that a key thing for having God-glorifying, personally fulfilling relationships is to be a solid, sincere follower of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about a Sunday Christian, okay? I'm not talking about, you guys know what a Sunday Christian is? A Sunday Christian is a consumer. A Sunday Christian comes and spends a minute, gives it to God, compartmentalizes their faith, right? This is the moment that they've dedicated. They've checked the box. They've done the deed. They've invested the time. And so they feel that they've pacified their religious conscience, and then that's it, right? There is no following Christ for the rest of the week. There is no spiritual engagement. There is no seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look, if you want to have really solid, healthy relationships, don't be a Sunday Christian. You've got to follow Jesus Christ, not for 90 minutes on Sunday, but, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And today, just really simply, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, um, let me just say this about this verse. This is the most important verse in the book of Genesis. So the theme verse of Genesis is Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I did not give you the context today. Um, and I want to wrap this verse in a little bit of context, but I would also say in addition to it being the key verse for Genesis, Genesis 3.15 is also one of the most important verses in all of the Bible, right? Genesis 3.15 is like uh, the first pearl in the strand of redemption that God weaves throughout the scripture, I think sometimes when we look at the Bible, you know, we can feel overwhelmed. Have you ever felt overwhelmed when you've, you know, thought about reading the Bible or studying the Bible? Anybody here, raise your hand. You felt overwhelmed. All right. Uh, thank you for being honest because the first service is filled with a bunch of liars. Let me tell you that right now. It was like everyone's looking at me like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I totally understand the totality of Scripture. And so I just... Close the service. I'm like, you know, what else can I say? You guys know it all. But this verse, what it does is right in the midst of total catastrophe, right? Right in the midst of failure. Like you couldn't have had a better situation than the Garden of Eden. And what did Adam and Eve do? Well, they sinned. And you know in that moment, like I'd mentioned last week, the image of God was marred in their life. There was division between themselves and the Father. First time the word fear appears, they were afraid. They were hiding behind trees. They had a convoluted uh, perspective of the character of God, and God lovingly calls them out. That's what he does. When we're on the run, and we know that with the first parents, when we're on the run, what does God do? He hunts us down. He pursues us. He seeks after us. 
And that's exactly what God did. He sought after them. And then he asked a series of questions to kind of get them to come out and to make themselves vulnerable and to own it. Did they own it? No, they did not own it. They blame shifted. And so what does God do? Well, God conveys to them that there were consequences to their sin. And he addresses Adam and he addresses Eve and he addresses the serpent. And the truth is there are consequences, but right, this is so big, right in the middle of conveying the the pain of the consequences, he plants this message of hope and mercy. He plants the message of hope and mercy. Hey, you guys, let me just paraphrase paraphrase it. You guys really jacked this up. That's a heavy paraphrase right there. You guys jacked this up. You've made a total mess of everything, but guess this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix the mess that you made. I'm going to fix the mess that you made. I'm going to send him. I'm going to send the seed. It's going to come, he's going to come through the woman. I'm going to send the Messiah. I'm going to send the Savior. I'm going to send the Redeemer. I'm going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. God did not say, I'm going to start a religion. God did not say, I'm going to give you a couple of good, solid principles to follow. God did not say, I'm going to show you the pathway to make yourself morally presentable so that you can merit favor in my eyes. That's not what God said. God said, I'm going to send the one who's going to solve the issue. He is the one who is going to reverse the curse. And in Genesis 3.15, you have what theologians call the, the threat of redemption, the threat of redemption that ties the rest of the Bible together. It is the message of how God redeems us from our own failure and through his providence fulfills the promise of everlasting life. You see this, right? You see it in the selection of Abraham. I'm not only going to make you a great nation, but through you, I'm going to bless all nations. What is that? That's the promise of Messiah. Through the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the promise is given to them, the work of God in Joseph, the giving of the promised land. Before the promised land, the law that comes on Mount Sinai, where God was conveying once and for all that the law was not given to us to prove our innocence, the law was given to us to prove our guilt, that every mouth would be stopped before him and that we would recognize like Job did, God, I need a daysman. God, I need someone to stand between myself and you because I'm a sinner in need of salvation. He gives the law through Moses. He institutes the sacrifices in the tabernacle and in the temple All of the blood sacrifices, a foreshadow of the single sacrifice that Christ would make once and for all on the cross for all of humanity. And then through the prophets, he conveys the message of the coming of Christ, the first and the second coming of Christ. And then we have the beautiful ministry of John the Baptist, the coming of Jesus, his crucifixion, his death and burial, his resurrection, his ascension. The epistles that speak to the church age and how we're to live our lives in a way that glorifies God. And then the beautiful story of the book of Revelation as God consummates all things with the second coming of Jesus, establishes the the kingdom age, that glorious age where he will rule and reign, the one perfect potentate that our hearts have longed for, not a president, not a prime minister, but the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the city of God that descends out of heaven, and we will live with God forever. All of that, listen, all of that starts right here in Genesis 3.15. 
It starts with the first promise of the gospel. That's what theologians call this. And through this, I just simply want to remind you of a few things today, um, specifically this, you are empowered through Christ. Hey, relationships can be hard. They can be challenging. They can be difficult. You can come to the point or the place where you feel like certain uh, relationships are hopeless, but nothing is ever hopeless when Jesus Christ is your center. You are empowered. All right, five things today if you're taking notes. Five truths that I want to lay out to you. This has been our pattern. Five truths and then five ways that you can live these truths out. Number one, you have the power of the cross and the resurrection. Number one, as a, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the power of the cross and the resurrection. Somebody, I hate to like, I hate to instigate an amen here today, but somebody say amen to that. Yeah, and listen, while you hear these promises, I just would encourage you to affirm it um, as a praise to God and also a message to your own heart. We have the power of the cross and the resurrection, which means this, our toxic hearts have been healed. Our toxic hearts have been healed. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. I know probably last Sunday felt a little bit like a spanking, but listen, we, we need the truth, right? Not always easy to swallow, but the beauty is this, that through the cross and the resurrection, God has healed our toxic hearts. You know, that heart that was filled with self and we pursued the fulfillment of self through the endeavors of the world, that has been healed. And certainly we know that that healing is a process. But I want to remind you today that Jesus did not come to put a Band-Aid on your situation. He paid to transform you. He paid to transform you. You are brand new in Christ. You have a new nature. You know, the reality as a believer is this. There are always two trees before us. We have the tree of temptation and we have the tree of transformation. There is the tree of lies and there is the tree of life. When I talk about the tree of transformation and the tree of life, I am talking about the cross of Christ. There is always going to be the opportunity or choice that we have to take from one of those two trees. We're either going to take from the tree of lies, the adversary with all of his lies, countering what it is that God has said in his word, or the tree of life that comes from Christ, the promises that we have in him because they are all yes and amen for those who are in Christ Jesus. It truly is the tree of temptation. Uh, versus the tree of transformation on a daily basis, we have the opportunity to choose. Let me ask you a question. Which tree are you taking from? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. And behold, or check this out, or this is totally crazy, right? That's my modern paraphrase. All things have become new. You are brand new in Jesus, number one. The second thing that you've been empowered with is the Holy Spirit. You have in your relationships the power of God's Holy Spirit. God has not left you to handle this on your own. God has not left you to your own willpower. God has not left you just simply to the way that you were raised. You have the Spirit of God who has not only sealed you for the day of salvation, He is the guarantee that God is going to finish what He began in your life, but He also empowers you to live the impossible, otherwise impossible life that God has set before you. Let me, yeah. It's true. 
The life that you've been called to live is impossible to live apart from the power of God's Holy Spirit. I mean, what he's laid out. You say, well, what has he laid out? I'll tell you what he's laid out. He's called us to live like Jesus, not just to do what Jesus did, but to be like Jesus was. That's what we're called to do. If anyone says he knows him, he ought to walk just as he walked. The Bible says in 1 John, there is an impossible, otherwise impossible lifestyle for us to live. We must have the power of God's Holy Spirit. And this is exactly what God has supplied to you and to me. We've been filled with this spirit to live to the new nature. Now, I want to encourage you uh, later on this week, Check out Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 to chapter 6, verse 9. I know some people say, well, pastor, you know, does the Bible ever even talk about relationships? You know, is there any particular scripture I can go to? And the answer is yes. You know, there are all sorts of scriptures that you can go to. But in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, the apostle Paul talks about wives, talks about husbands, talks about parenting, talks about employers, talks about employees. You know, you've got to, at the end there, shift some of the vernacular into the modern context, but he addresses how we're to live, how we're to comport ourselves, what those relationships ought to look like. But I want to tell you, before he even gets to any of that, he says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, do not be drunk with wine in which is destruction, but be filled with the Spirit. So before he even instructs us on how we ought to live out these relationships, he says the very first thing you need to do is to be filled with the Spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine. Don't be under the influence of wine, you know, or narcotics or worldly philosophy. You take your pick. Don't be under the influence of that, but be continually under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you can translate those verbs like that. When he says being filled with the Holy Spirit, he means be being filled. In other words, this is how we start our day. God, fill me with your spirit. You've called me to live relationally in a way that I can't do in my strength, my own strength. I can't just rely on past experiences. God, I need you and I need you right now. You have the power of God's Holy Spirit available to you to live what would otherwise be an impossible life. You have, number three, the power of changed values. Number three, you have the power of changed values. You are now, as a Christian, guided by God's word. You're not guided by the latest fad in the culture you're not guided by the latest guru and his New York Times best-selling book. Not that there might not be some truth that you can pull out of it. That's not what guides you any longer. You're guided by God's word. You have a whole new set of values. Are you with me today? Yes. Values are individual beliefs that motivate people to act one way or another. We all have a set of values. We all have a set of values, and our values will determine how we behave, how we interface in our personal relationships. In fact, I would say to you that your values drive your relationships. Your values drive your relationships. So what do you value? What is most valuable to you? What sits at the core of your life that influences how you make the rest of your decisions? You know, is money what you value? Is self-satisfaction what you value? Is stuff what you value? Is personal comfort what you value? Is God the one that you value? 
Do you, are you kingdom-minded? Are you investing in things that last forever because you value the coming life over the present life? Listen, what you value ends up dictating how you live your life and how you live out your relationships. David, in Psalm 119, 105, you know, we often take this verse, and I'm not saying it's wrong to do this, but sometimes we take this verse as like the verse that guides us when we need uh, help making decisions in our life, maybe financial decisions, or we don't know what job to pick, or maybe we're supposed to move. Well, we go to Psalm 119, 105, where the Bible says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You ever go to that scripture before and you're like, God, I just, I need some help. I need some, I don't know what to do. I don't know what path to take. And so I'm believing God that your word, this is, this is good to do. Your word is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. You're going to show me the way. But I want you just to think about the more specific context here. David is talking about a value system. David is talking not just about a particular issue that God is going to give guidance on. David is talking about learning the heart of the Father. David is talking about uh, resetting his own personal values so that he values what pleases God, what honors God, what glorifies God. And so he says, this is, the, this is the whole verse here, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. In other words, God, you know what? I've studied, I've searched, I know what pleases you, I know what honors you, and I'm committing in my life to do those things that please your heart. Let me tell you something. When you set that as the center of your life, when you get to those various decisions that you need to make, the way will be much clearer. It will just be much clearer. God, do I, do I take that job? God, do I go to that place? God, do I use my resources for this? Well, if you set at the center the values of God, you're gonna sort out your own personal subjectivity What's going to get lost or what's going to evaporate or the cloud that's going to get lifted is our own self-centered values that oftentimes are the very thing that cloud our ability to see what it is that God desires. You have the power of the cross and the resurrection. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the power of changed values. Hey, you have the power of answered prayer, church. You have the power of answered prayer. Man, you have a direct line to the Father with the promise of help. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you have a direct line to the Father with the promise of help. Isn't that awesome? I mean, you have a direct line to the Father with the promise of help. Isn't that awesome? Hey, look, the phone is there. The phone is there. You know it in your head. And yet sometimes what do we do? We, we bear the issue ourselves. We run around the phone. We look at the phone. We see the phone. We don't pick up the phone and give a call. You know, well, hey, why don't, why don't they call? Why don't they call? Well, you know what? Sometimes we're just so busy trying to solve the problem ourselves, we forget to go to the Father and pick up the phone and ask Him for help. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, and the author at this point has just, he has laid it out how supreme Jesus is. He is the supreme high priest. He's better than Aaron. He's better than the Levitical line. He's better than your pastor. He's better than the pastors. He's better than your priest. He's better than your philosophical guru. There's no one like Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. There is... 
there is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. And what has he done? Listen, he has paved the way so fully. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that we can therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right, So he's laid this whole theological superstructure out, and then he gives a piece of application. He says, hey, let's, let's hold steadfast. Let's be steadfast in our faith. Let's not uh, resist or forsake the gathering together of the brothers and sisters, as is the manner of some. And let's remember that we can go boldly, not sheepishly, not fearfully, but we can go straight to the Father in that moment of need, and you know what he supplies? He supplies us help. So, so in addition to that, I won't go through all four again. The fifth and final one is this. You have the power of community. You have the power of community. You are not alone. You are not isolated. You are not a spiritual lone ranger. You're not a, you're not a spiritual maverick, right? You are supported by the family of God, We are a family, and we are on a journey together. You know, one thing that I appreciate so much is that, you know, we can have relationships that that cover a, a long period of time, that stand the test of time, and as we look back, we can see that we've journeyed together through highs and lows. We can see that we've been in that place where we've mutually supported one another and encouraged one another. You know, maybe you're the person that was up, and so what did you do? Well, God used you to help the person that was down, inevitably knowing that 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 moment of time is going to come for you as well. And so as you've distributed that support and help, like the Bible says, when you were down, then someone else was able to help you up. You know, somebody said this a long time ago. I was just a young Christian when I heard it, and it was kind of shocking to me. They said, you know, Christians are the only ones who shoot their wounded. And I thought, well, that's a weird thing to say. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me. And then I got some time under my belt in the church. And, you know, sometimes, and I'm not saying it's us, God help us not to be this, but sometimes, you know, the ones who need the most help aren't the ones who get it. Sometimes the one who are mar- sometimes the people that are marginalized, sometimes the ones who are struggling, sometimes those people who maybe have been consistently failing over the course of time, in their moment of need, the church, instead of reaching out to them and helping them, ignores them or marginalize- marginalizes them more. When the Bible itself says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Look, we are a community of people that stick together with each other in the highs and also in the lows. Hebrews 11.24 says this, let us think of ways, this is the, the New Living Translation, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Look, when we hang out together, the bulk of our conversation, I'm not saying that we don't talk about a variety of different things. But the bulk of our conversation is not centered around the most recent news cycle. You understand what I'm talking about? Like our conversation is not all consumed with what is new on the news cycle and the latest catastrophe and all of the things we're struggling with in a cultural sense. I'm saying, yes, we do talk about those things, but fundamentally at the core, what do we do? We motivate one another to acts of love. We encourage each other to good works. The vast majority of our time together is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the solution to our problems. He is the one that we need. So 
yes. So these are all things that are true for you and for me. Now, how do we live this truth out? Because you know, sometimes there's a dissonance between what we know and how we live. Sometimes there's a disconnect between the things theologically that we know to be true and the way that we practice our life. So I want to encourage you with five things today. Number one is this, uh, live up to the new nature. You and I need to live up to the new nature. When I say live up, I'm, I'm saying level up. I'm not saying that you fabricate or create the new nature. It is, in fact, a gift that's been given to you. But you and I need to make a choice every single day to live up to this new nature. In other words, old ways of doing things that are not the new you are over. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like they're over, and you don't put a comma after that. You don't put a semicolon. You don't put a colon. You don't put a space. You don't hyphenate that. It is a period. There is a way that we used to operate, and now that we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we have left that behind, and there is a new way that we choose to live. We've had a paradigm shift. You know, when we're tempted to say, well, you know what? This was just the way I was raised. Pastor, this was just the way I was raised, or it's in my genes, or it's my parents' fault. We're going to talk about cycles of sin, or this happens so often. You know what? I'm just Italian. I'm just Italian. You know, I'm explosive. I'm explosive. I'm, I am the way I am because this is my ethnicity. Now, listen, everybody, everybody does this. So whether you're Italian or whether you're Irish or, you know, like, I'm a mess. I, my, my dad did a whole genealogical study, and I, I could say, I, maybe I have the best of both worlds. I'm like, well, I'm German. I'm French. I'm Scandinavian. There's Viking blood in me. That's why I want to kill you right now, okay? I'm, I'm a Viking. And so, so, look it, this is just the way it is. We can't do that anymore. We have a new set of genes. His blood runs through our veins, Right? When you were water baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, by the way, if you've not gone to the baptismal waters and you're a follower of Christ, we want to encourage you to be obedient to the command of Christ and be water baptized. But when you went to the baptismal waters, um, unless you were sprinkled, and you know that still counts, all right, so don't get all worried, but if you want to take over again or redo, we can for sure handle that for you. But when you went to the baptismal waters, you were laid down in those waters, right? That signified the old nature, the old person, dead, buried. You're not living to that anymore. Some of you were super sinful, so we held you down for a long time <laughs> because there was a lot to bury, right? And you kept floating to the top, and we had to, we had to push you down, right? We're going to start giving, like, scuba gear with our baptisms, but then when you came up, when you came up out of the water, it signified your personal spiritual resurrection. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but he has made you alive in Christ. You have a brand new nature. You are altogether a new person. There's a new thing that God has done in you. And the old does not have the authority to speak it over your life. You are brand new in Jesus Christ. And so... So I want to encourage you, start your day by tuning your heart to the heart of the Father. 
Start your day by tuning your heart to the heart of the Father. How you start your day is so important. It's so important. And, you know, um, we have a great worship team. They're, they're amazing, right? They're all, they're, all, they're all mad at me right now is what they are. They're all proficient musicians, and because they're proficient musicians, you know, they want to be in tune with each other. They want to make a, a beautiful melody, and so they tune their instruments before they start anything. It's the first thing that you do. Whether you're a beginner, a musician, or whether you're a concert soloist, you know that you are, the first thing you do is you tune your instruments. Now, you'll notice oftentimes Pastor Tony or Miriam will not only tune their instruments to begin, but then, you know, sometimes because of humidity or the dryness in the air or just from playing the music, the instrument can get out of tune. Well, what they'll do even in the midst uh, or, or in between songs, they will, they will tune their instrument again. They don't just say, hey, let's tune our instruments at the end of the worship set. Why? Because that would be totally useless. It's, it's over. What you want to be is in tune while the music is playing. And this is why I think it's just important for me to say, if you want to have healthy relationships, when you start your day, you have to tune your heart to the heart of the Father. You need to start your day in the Word of God. You need to start your day in prayer. You need to start your day with a confession. God, align my heart to your heart. Help me, God, to walk in the new nature that you've given to me. Unless, of course, you're the person who starts your day in the spirit. Like you wake up, it is all butterflies and roses. Like your feet barely touch the ground. You're already filled with the spirit of God. May the Lord richly bless you. The rest of us poor plebeians do not necessarily have that spirit. Some of us wake up a little grumpy. Some of us wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Some, some of us wake up with anxiety. Some of us wake up with worry, right? We, we open our eyes and immediately we're stressed out. Nothing's even happened. Nothing's even happened, right? But it's already happened in our mind. And so what we need to do when we start our day, and I would just want to encourage you, you know, um, if, you, if you don't have a regular time in the Word of God, we do have devotionals um, that, are, uh, that we podcast, that are available on social media platforms. They're a great, great tool to help you start. They're not the end in and of themselves. But you need to have a consistent discipline of being in the Word of God so you start your day aligned to the heart of the Father. And just remember, it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Throughout the day, you're aligning your heart to the will of God and the truth of his word. The best version of yourself is found in the new nature that God has given to you. The best version of yourself is found in the new nature that God has given to you. The second thing I want to encourage you with today is this, based on what we've learned, lean into the Spirit's power. Lean into the Spirit's power. Listen, always rely on the power of God's Holy Spirit. When you're walking strong with God, well, make sure you're leaning into the Spirit's power then. Also, though, please remember that it's in your weaknesses that his strength is perfected. It's in your weaknesses that his strength is perfected. In fact, sometimes you won't know whether or not you're relying on the power of God's Holy Spirit until the trouble comes, until there is conflict, until there's difficulty in a relationship. Because listen, when everything is good, you feel like, hey, I'm on track, I must be trusting in God, but it's not until everything starts going wrong that you really are able to discern where your heart is at. 
The Bible says in Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, let me tell you something. All those are miracles. They're all, they're all miracles. And you won't really know whether or not you're loving with God's love until there are people who are indifferent about you in your life, until you're surrounded with people that you thought cared but aren't acting like they care. You won't know whether or not you're really loving with the power of God's spirit, with God's love, until there are people in your life that you thought were your friends and are now stabbing you in the back. Listen, it's in those moments, it's in those moments where everything in you wants to respond kind in kind that you choose to look to God and say, God, this is impossible for me. But I know your word says an, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and that's biblical, right? God, can't I, can I just give them back what they've given to me? But no, you, you see what the word of God says, and you say, God, enable me, empower me by your Holy Spirit to love like you love, even in the midst of indifference and also betrayal. Love, joy. You don't know you're necessarily walking in the joy of the Lord until everything around you circumstantially falls apart. You know, until all of the expectations that you had are or have are not being fulfilled, those things sometimes that uh, we are looking to to support a sense of joy, you know, it really is not biblical joy, it's not spiritual joy, it's just that we're happy because things are going our way. And then when things stop going our way, it's in that moment that we understand whether or not we really have the joy of the Lord. Listen, if you're in a place where you feel like you don't have joy, I just want to remind you, your joy is never stolen from you. It's always given away. Your joy is never stolen from you. I've had people say to me, you know what, pastor, the devil, the devil, the devil, he stole my joy. I'm like, no, he didn't steal. He can't steal what God gave to you. He cannot steal what God gave to you. You've given it away. You pass that authority away. You know, your joy, your sense of joy has been conditional. It's been based off of your circumstances. And now you're in a spot where you don't like the circumstances, and, and the choice now is, are you going to obey the command to rejoice? Because the Bible says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Right? So we don't just rejoice when the miracle is, is done. We rejoice before the sea's been parted. We rejoice before the manna falls. We rejoice before the bitter waters have been made sweet. We rejoice before we get into the promised land because God has given us promises and they're sufficient for us to find our joy in. There are times in my life that I have cycled down because I've been so focused, so focused on circumstances. I've handed my joy away. And the thing that has gotten me up out of that is focusing back on the promises of God and choosing to rejoice in them. Peace. What about long-suffering? What about patience? You know, when you hit that moment in a relationship where you say, I am on my last nerve. You know the last nerve? Anybody here have a last nerve? I'm on my last nerve, I'll tell you right now. And you, some of you right now, you've been thinking about this message like that, right? You're like, Pastor, you're on my last nerve. And I, got, I, I could just want to say to you, I'm not done yet. 
I'm not done. I'm not done. You're going to discover you got more nerves, okay? But we're in that place where it's like, man, I can't go any further with this person. I can't go any further. They've like trampled on my last nerve. Well, in that moment, what you need to do is you need to be looking to the power of God's spirit to supply to you that long suffering that you need, to be able to go the extra mile, to be able to love proactively when the person doesn't deserve it, to be able to be in that place where you're walking in patience. You say, well, give me one good reason why I should do that. I say to you, because that's the way the father's treated you. How long suffering has he been with us? How willing has he been to, has he been to go the extra mile with us? How much has he I mean, if anyone's got a last nerve, you think it would be God. And yet, how patient is he? If he's been that patient with us, we should be that patient with each other, all right? As, as we look at all of these different elements of the fruit of the Spirit, I just want to encourage you to choose to love daily, right? The self-giving love of God flowing through your life, not transactional, not selfish, not me-oriented, not about what you can get, but transformational. Transformational loving relationships don't just happen. Happen. Choose to love preemptively, not reactively. The third thing I want to encourage you with today is look to God's values. Um, now, listen, I want to just remind you that what God values is written in the scriptures. Like, you'll be able to see what it is that is displeasing to God, and you'll be able to see what it is that is pleasing to God. If you're part of our home groups, we've actually, uh, we have for you this week a list of values to put off and a list of values to put on. It's a comprehensive list from scripture. If you're not in one of our home groups, too bad. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We love you. Plug into a home group, and, um, and if you're really nice, we'll get you the list. No, I'm just joking. We'll get it to you. Let me, let me share a couple with you today. Uh, things that we need to put off, old values, bitterness, anger, wrathfulness, evil speaking, greed, lewdness, lust, jealousy, selfishness, pride, being opinionated. I just love to watch your faces. <laughs> Vengeful, divisive. All these are old things that we've been called to set aside. What are some of the new values that we have? Being tenderhearted, being forgiving, being righteous, being generous, being holy, choosing to use grace-filled words, helpful, supportive, peaceful, humble, a promoter of unity. Hey, are your values aligned to the word of God? Relationship co conflict often comes when our values are not aligned with a friend, with a spouse, maybe with somebody that we're dating. You know, if you've just given your life to Christ, what you're going to discover is that there are a new set of values that you have, and there are an old set of values that your friends have. And you know, it is true. Sometimes when we're in that spot, it's like, well, listen, I want to be a witness to them, but I also realize it's easier to get pulled down into the muck and the mire than it is to pull somebody up. And sometimes what people do is they say, well, you need to abandon all of your old friends, you know, because they're bad for you and you need to establish new relationships in the church. And you do need to establish new relationships in the church. You absolutely do. In fact, these should be the relationships that you focus on. But listen, you have been placed divinely by God in the lives of those people to be a witness for Jesus Christ. But you have to remember that there is always going to be temptation because they live according to a different set of values. 
And so you go in suited up in the full armor of God. Listen, in the dating process, remember, it's important now to determine whether or not your values are aligned with this individual that you're dating because if they're not aligned now, they won't be when you get married. And when you do get married, don't take it for granted that your values are aligned with your spouse. You need to make sure you're sitting down and spending the time to list out what it is that your core values are. I shared this a couple of weeks ago in, uh, in an email. I just want to read it to you again. In 1999, NASA lost $125 million Mars Climate Orbiter because the engineers failed to convert English to metric measurements. This is how it worked. The navigation team at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory used the metric system of millimeters and meters, while Lockheed Martin in Denver used inches, feet, and pounds. And because they were operating from two different paradigms, because there was a difference in the language that they were speaking, that $125 million machine was lost in space. People with the same goal, speaking in different terms, led to, a fail, led to a failed mission. Let me just say that again. People with the same goal, speaking in different terms, led to a failed mission. If your values aren't aligned in marriage, it will lead to a failed mission. You will have a different opinion on money, on profession, on family, on time, on everything. And so what do you do? You sit down with each other. You make a list of your values, and then you open up the scripture, and you get rid of the ones that aren't aligned with God's values, and you keep the ones that are. The fourth thing today, thanks for being patient, just two more left. Let prayer be your reflex. Let prayer be your reflex in your relationships. Let prayer be your reflex. I can't tell you how many relationships of mine have been bailed out by God because of prayer. I mean, they're... I'm so thankful no one said amen here, but it is true. There have been times, man, you know, where I have just said the wrong thing. I have like spoken like a fool. I blurted something out. I leave that moment and I'm like, oh God, oh God, because you know, sometimes the, the stuff I say influences people and I'm like, God, bail me out. Please, Heavenly Father, like you know, that was something I should not have said. And I can't tell you how many times God has been so good to me to bail me out of the problems that I potentially created with my own mouth. Yeah, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Parents, don't forget the greatest spiritual weapon that you have is prayer. Don't forget the, spiritual, the, the greatest spiritual weapon that you have is prayer. Um, I've shared this before, you know, uh, and Alec has shared this, but when Alec was four, I had the privilege of leading him in prayer to receive Jesus Christ. And there was a period of time in his life where he, he did spiritually go off the rails. And it was prayer. It was prayer. It was consistently praying to God. I mean, specifically the burden that God placed on my wife's heart, on Rachel's heart. You know, she created a group of women that just began to pray for their kids. And what did we see God do? We saw God miraculously draw our son not only back into the faith, but restored him so that he was on, on fire and then gave him a calling upon his life and blessed him with an amazing wife. I'm so thankful, you know? Don't forget, 
Listen, don't forget, Hannah prayed for Samuel. Job prayed for his kids. The Canaanite woman brought her demon-possessed daughter. Jairus brought his daughter who was sick, who ultimately was dead, to Jesus, and he raised her from the dead. Timothy's mother and grandmother were responsible for praying him into the faith. All of our relationships would be healthier if we prayed more earnestly for them. If there's only, if there's only one takeaway for you today... If there's just one thing, I want to encourage you this week to pray for your relationships. The fifth thing and final thing, thanks for being patient, is this. Let go of fear-based living. You you and I need to let go of fear-based living. By that, I simply mean some of us have been so wounded and so hurt in relationships that we just don't want to take the risk anymore. We don't want to put ourselves out there. And I want to tell you today that isolation is the devil's playground. Isolation is the devil's playground. Proverbs 18.1 says this, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. You know, I'm thankful for technology, but the truth is this, sometimes you can be so wounded, you know, so hurt by what people have done that you're connected to the church just via technology because you're afraid to take that risk again. You know, you know that stepping out is going to mean that you might get hurt again. But listen, you don't want to let past failure steal away God's present blessings. I want to encourage you today, you know, there are acquaintances that we have, there are friends that we have, and then there also should be a very close-knit group of people that we have in our lives that we can be accountable to and that we can hold accountable. These, you know, you know, you can experience in our life groups. Don't let yesterday's bad experiences steal today's blessings. So something happened in the past. Are you really going to let that thing have authority over your life today? God wants to bless you today. God wants to pour out something great into your life today. Don't say no to him today because of something that happened yesterday. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your word today. And Lord, I do pray, I do pray that you would minister among us now. Father, we know that there are needy hearts. God, we know today that we're dealing with broken relationships. For some of us, that broken relationship is between ourselves and you. For some of us today, it might be a marriage, it might be relationships with our kids, might be in the church. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would move powerfully among us right here and right now. And God, that you would be the one that would bring divine healing. Today, as our eyes are closed and as we're in this moment of prayer, maybe today it is your relationship with God that needs to be mended. And you've heard today just the message of the gospel that it's not your abilities or your moralities or how religious you are. No, God is the one. God is the one who fixed the problem. And now all that's left for you is to come to him in faith, to believe in Jesus, to receive the restoration that your heart needs, to experience the forgiveness of your sins, to be washed in the love of God, would you say yes to God today? We're so thankful that you're here and and today, maybe you're not a Christian. God's brought you here to receive the love that he has for you. 
in addition today, you know, maybe you, you are a believer, but, but spiritually you've just been walking through a dry time and, and maybe today you need spiritual renewal. You need a fresh work of God's Holy Spirit. You've been trusting in the power of your own might. You've been handling relationships in your own strength. You found yourself not really aligned to God's word. And today you need to start over. This morning, if this is you, maybe you need to put your faith in Christ for the very first time. You need to receive the love of God. Maybe for you today, you need to be renewed in the love of God. Would you raise your hand today? I want to pray for you. God bless you here in the front. I see your hand and yours here in the center. And over here on my left, raise your hand up high so I can see you. Over here on my right, here in the right. Thank you. Back in the center on my right. God bless you. Here in the center, thank you. Over here on my left, here in the front, thank you so much. And he loves you. Over here on my right, thank you. He loves you today. And you raised your hand because you've heard the voice of God, the, the voice of the Father. Today, is there anybody else? You know, I, I sense that during these messages, I know they hit close to home. And sometimes they're, it's just difficult. It's, it's hard. It's hard for us to take in all that God desires, but we must come to the point where we give it all to God. Stop fighting against Him. Stop choosing our own way and choose to trust in Him. If there's anybody else today, maybe this is you, you've, you've been fighting, you've been resisting. Awesome, thank you over here on my left, right here in the center, over here in the back. I see your hand over here on my right over here on my left. Listen, you're, you're placing yourself today in the hands of God. There's no safer place for you to be. You have nothing to fear. I see your hand in the back. Thank you. You can put your hands down. God, thank you for each of these today, and we're grateful, God, that you're moving among us, and you're working, and we trust you today, God. We entrust these lives to you. We pray, please, Father, the fullness of all that you desire. God, the fullness of all that you desire. Would you work that today, right now, in their lives as they come to you by faith in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's all stand together today. Hey, listen, um, today, if you raise your hand, you know, God has spoken to you today is a beautiful thing. There's a step of faith for you to take right here and right now. And what we want to invite you to do today as you raise your hand is just to make your way forward to the front. I want to lead you in a prayer today. Listen, don't leave right now. This is the most important part of our service. This is the most important part of our service. But today, if you raise your hand, I want to lead you in a prayer. You need to pray. You need to look to the mediator. You need to trust in the one who died on the cross for your sins. And you need to receive today all that he desires to do in your life. And so this morning, if you raise your hand, Pastor Tony is going to lead us in a song of worship. I would like you just to come on forward today down to the front here, right next to one of our uh, follow-up leaders. Make your way down here. I want to lead you in a prayer this morning. Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. 
Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. love of God Oh, it chases me down fights till I'm found leaves at 99 I couldn't earn it and I don't deserve it still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming never-ending reckless love simple prayer and as you pray to God pray with anticipation because as you look to Christ in faith God is going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or think let's bow our heads together today and I'd like you to repeat this prayer after me God thank you today that you have revealed your love today I'm choosing to trust today I'm choosing to look to Jesus I believe he died for me and that he rose again and through him I receive your love and the power of your Holy Spirit. Transform my life. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen. Awesome. Awesome.